Welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we bring to you recordings from the audio archives. This is the third of eight installments in chronological order, spanning the years 1995 through to 1999, and all focusing on the Maybrick Diary. The following sound recording we bring to you is Shirley Harrison on BBC Radio Merseyside, which aired on the 27th of September. 1995. Here's Bob Azurdia. Hello again, Bob Azurdia here. And as the arguments continue as to whether a diary owned by a former Liverpool scrap merchant named Mike Barrett really is the diary of James Maybrick, allegedly murdered by his wife Florence in 1889, there still seems to be very mixed feelings as to the claims that the diary is also that of the notorious Whitechapel murderer Jack the Ripper. Mike Barrett himself has told us that he received the diary from a friend named Tony Deverell, who died soon afterwards without revealing where he obtained the manuscript. And that since receiving it, his, Mike Barrett's life, has gone steadily downhill. He blames the diary for his descent into alcoholism, which he says he's now conquered, and while drunk, admitted that the diary was a hoax. Well, he's now retracted that maintaining steadfastly that the diary is not a hoax, or that if it is, it was certainly not perpetrated by him, and in any case, not recently. Mike Barrett's marriage has now ended, also in part because of the pressure of answering for the diary constantly. And there have been claims that scientists have proved the ink on the diary couldn't have been older than from 1974 has been disproved by, among others, Shirley Harris, a reputable author who wrote the book The Diary of Jack the Ripper around Mike Barrett's papers. Her book contained full documentation of the forensic tests to which the paper and ink, as well as the handwriting, had been subjected, and in the second paperback edition there came new evidence as well to support the belief that the diary really is genuinely the work of James Maybrick, who was therefore Jack the Ripper. Further evidence to support the diary was the discovery of a pocket watch at a jeweller's in Liscard in Wallasey, a watch on which was inscribed the initials of James Maybrick, plus the initials of all the Whitechapel victims and the message, I am Jack. This having been bought by Mr. Johnson of unquestioned integrity, whose brother was killed in a road accident in Spain just a few weeks ago, another tragedy associated with the diary. The watch, too, has been examined extensively and has to be placed no later than the beginning of this century for the inscriptions, making it a remarkably strong piece of corroborative evidence. Shirley Harrison finished the book and the editions for the paperback long ago, but she retains a consuming interest in the diary and continues to work towards its acceptance as genuine. She lives in a beautiful fisherman's cottage alongside the river Wandle 
on the borders of South London and Surrey. It's a very attractive part of the country. Surely there have been denials and counter-denials and many alternative suggestions since your book appeared for the first time two years ago. To this day, no one really knows whether the diary is that of James Maybrick, nor whether he was really Jack the Ripper. But many more still believe the diary is genuine. And I think you, too, still believe it is genuine. Yes, indeed, I do. And that's I quite unequivocal. I have ever wavered on that from the beginning. Um, uh, but I'm the first to say that I haven't proved it either, despite the fact that we have undertaken, I think, the most extensive research that's ever been done on a, on a document of this kind, certainly in the, in, the, uh, in the Ripper field. There's been no other document of this kind before. Uh, despite that, we haven't been able to prove it, but neither have those, and <laughs> my goodness, there are many of them, as you know, um, who've set out to trip us up and prove us wrong, neither have they been able to prove that it is a forgery. Well, what of the statements of Mike Barrett, then? Mike Barrett, Indeed. who owned the book, who owns the diaries, bought them to you in the first instance, and he has first of all said that they're a hoax, then he says that they're not a hoax, and it becomes a little bit difficult to know just what to believe. Um, I would agree with that. Um, <laughs> it has been difficult. Mike, I think, will agree that he has um, had a fairly extensive long period of um, illness. He has not been at all well, and he has had a great deal of stress and strain. Um, his marriage broke up for many reasons, the pressure of the diary probably part of it. As a result, um, we have a statement from the hospital uh, a couple of years ago to say that he was suffering from a condition which is called confabulation, which is the result of, um, it's the result of alcohol, um, which for a time Mike suffered from, as I think you know, quite badly, oh, yes. and he admits that yes, he, he, has, he has been drinking. Confabulation uh, means that what, what you do is you do make up stories you don't know necessarily you're doing it and then you've forgotten what you said the next day. Um, I know that if I thought for a minute that Mike Barrett had forged that diary, I would have nothing to do with it. I know too, because we have it in writing, that his lawyers, who are very reputable Liverpool lawyers, also have said that if they knew the diary was forged, they would also have nothing to do with it. We are quite convinced, absolutely 100% convinced, that Mike did not forge that diary. Yes, but there is a difference between whether he forged the diary or whether they are forgeries. Oh, absolutely, and that I'm the first person to admit. Um, I think there are two possibilities. Either they're genuine or they may have been forged some time ago probably at the time of the Ripper, or not long after the time of the Ripper uh, murders. I think that there is no question but that they are not a modern forgery. There is no question but that they are not, not a, a modern, modern forgery. forgery. There is nothing to... There is so nothing the, the, to they may be forged, but certainly not in recent I, times. Well, I will concede that this is a possibility, because I've not been able to prove they're not forged, but yes. I think... That That's only by default. Yes. Yes, yes precisely. Mm. But your own personal instinct still inclines towards their being yes, genuine. Have you, have you read the diary? Oh yes, yes I, mean, I have, with great interest and very closely. And I have to say too, I was impressed by the forensic evidence you presented indicating all the tests which had taken place on the paper, yes. on the ink, on the handwriting, yes. and so forth. 
and Perhaps the dating. I, I should, may I just tell you briefly about the ink test? Because those who have ranged their forces against us, um, and they are very vociferous, um, have been claiming, I know, that um, a chemical has been found in the ink of the diary which proves conclusively that it is, in fact, a modern ink. Yes, in fact, that it contains a substance which wasn't available or known of until 1974. That's right. Uh, it's a substance called chlorocetamide, <laughs> which um, I must admit I didn't know about. Um, now, I, I was concerned about this, obviously, um, and this is a, a prime example of the way in which experts disagree. Tests were done uh, on the diary ink by um, those who are critical of the diary, and, and they were done with a very reputable um, laboratory called Analysis for Industry, who said that they had found a small amount of chlorocetamide in the diary ink. Yes. I had the diary tested at Leeds University, the Department of Colour Chemistry, who said they did three tests. On the first test, they found a tiny, tiny amount of chlorocetamide, and on the second two tests, they found none at all. Yeah. They concluded that the chlorocetamide was there due to some form of contamination. Now, interestingly, I've since gone in in great, in great depth into the story of chlorocetamide. I've been in touch with uh, laboratories in Germany and in America. I now know that chlorocetamide was around in the 1860s. Uh, moreover, it was used in paper. And the question was put to me only this week by the, one of the research chemists for Dow Chemicals in America, which is one of the leading pharmaceutical companies, is it possible indeed that chlorocetamide might have bled into the ink from the paper? Yeah. And that is what I'm following through at the moment. I think it is more than likely that this is what the answer is going to be. So this negates the most recent forensic evidence against the ink? Yes, yes. But this is going on all the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you, you find your expert and you find another expert and they will never agree and the same applies to almost every aspect of the diary. Well, one aspect, of, one aspect of the diary which, we, which we've not, we have not touched on yes. and that is how and why it came to light most recently because it was always claimed that Mike Barrett received it from his friend Tony Devereux yes. who then died yes. shortly afterwards without explaining where he had got it. Yes. You now say in your revised edition of the book mm -hmm. that it came via Mike Barrett's former wife, Anne, and had Can come I from their family. Can I slightly? Um, what I actually say in the paperback, and I know that Anne will not um, uh, disagree with this, is that I was told, we were told, by Anne that that is where it came from. Again, I have not said that it did. Um, I do believe Anne. On the whole, I, I, I think her story is very, very uh, plausible, and I think that it, it holds water. But it's not, strictly speaking, been proven. Um, and we have to rely on Anne's word and, uh, and believe in her integrity. Uh, that's rather different from saying that it did definitely come from that particular source. There's still a lot of work being done on that. Anne herself is also working on her own family history. Uh, she is trying to trace the story of her link with, as she believes, with Florence Maybrick, who was known at one time as Florence Graham Ingraham. Which, of course, was 
Anne Barrett's maiden name. That's right, that's right. But, but Anne can tell you that story herself. Well, I indeed. Think, uh, it's better to come from Anne's own mouth. Well, indeed, yes. But the story was that subsequent to the publication of your book, yep. much subsequent, in fact, to yes. it, she made a recorded sworn statement that's right. to the effect that she had had the book in, or the diaries, in her possession via her father, yes. whose name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, yes. And it had been in his possession for ages and ages and ages, I for know. years. Yes. And that she wanted her husband, Mike, to do something with it, but didn't think that he would if it came directly from her. And so she gave it to Tony Devereux, saying, you give it to my husband, Mike, but don't let him know that it came from me. Mm. So Mike's story does still hold. It's so they both hold, Yeah, Yes, they, they, they hang together all right, yes. And the name Graham also provides a link with the Maybrick. That's right. Now, what, what, what do you feel about this, objectively? Uh, what about the Maybrick link? About the Maybrick-Graham link. Well, I would love, to, I would love to hope that it is true. I hope that the researchers that are going on at the moment are going to prove in documentary form that that link is absolutely uh, correct and that we can justifiably say that it's come down through the family. So you are investigating it at the moment, Anne? Um, we, I personally am I'm not. This but is actually being done by Paul Feldman, who was the person who bought the video rights and an option for the film rights from my publisher. Um, Paul has, like all the rest of us who've become involved with the diary, almost found it's a crusade. He's got so involved with it that he has spent an enormous amount of time and money researching the background. And the, the Florence Graham side of the story is his at the moment, and it is he who is researching it. There are an enormous number of people doing all this research at the I moment. I know. I know. And all working independently. Absolutely. And not only independently, but rather at variance for the others. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's made me so, um, so absolutely furious. Um, I have been accused by um, an organisation, in quotes I would say, I think it's a one-man organisation, calling itself somewhat pompously the Committee for Integrity. I mean, have you ever heard of anything the like? Um, which the set out for the sole purpose is to destroy my book and to destroy the film. Um, and I was accused of being part of what they say is a seedy conspiracy. There is no conspiracy. Uh, I am working on my own with a researcher, a, um, a friend with whom I've worked, a colleague with whom I've worked for many, many years. Um, I am not working with anyone else and I am not um, working with my publisher. He has nothing more to do with it at the moment until we produce another edition. This is me on my own, a one-woman band. You're doing it presumably because you're interested then now. Absolutely. I've become absolutely fascinated. I mean, so would anybody. What, what yes. journalist is not going to give their eye teeth to, <laughs> to be involved in a project of this sort? Uh, an unfathomable mystery. Two yes. unfathomable mysteries because the Maybrick story itself is a, is a very strange saga. Absolutely, yes. So, it appears, though, that many people, most people who've been touched by the Ripper case, according to Mike anyway, Mike Barrett, yes. have been adversely affected, either with regard to health or, in his case, Well, it's health, true. I mean, at one divorce. time, we were all talking about the curse of the Ripper. Um, it's true. It does seem to have affected people. Um, it's, people have become obsessive. Um, quite extraordinary the number of people who have actually suffered from 
um, ill health. In fact, there, I mean, there have been all sorts of mishaps and, and tragedies involved. It's a bit like the curse of Tutankhamun in a way. You? Uh, you've been affected? Not me, fortunately. <laughs> not you. No. Um, I'm very lucky. I think maybe, I don't know whether being a woman has anything to do with it. I, I actually, I think I'm probably the first woman to write a, um, a, a major book about the Ripper. Um, I feel more detached from it probably than, than most of the other ripperologists, the historians, the, the people who've been gunning for, for my book who seem to have become totally obsessed with the whole story. Um, I, I stand back from it most of the time. I've got a lot of other interests. I write other books too, um, not on the Ripper and not on crime. So, um, you are all right, and I'm therefore all right. you have releases. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Now you mentioned Paul Selvin and his yes. interest in the film. Is yes. this film, to your knowledge, still going ahead? Yes, it is. Um, Anthony Hopkins to take the the, the lead, uh, that, the part of um, Maybrick. No, I don't know. Um, Anthony Hopkins. This is another red herring. Um, Anthony Hopkins has never signed anything, uh, despite what all the press said a few months ago about mega million pound deals. Um, Anthony Hopkins has not been taken on board yet. I've had a letter from him fairly recently which says that indeed, yes, he has had lunch with New Line, the film company. Yes, he is discussing it. But until such time as he sees a really good script, he's not signed up for anything at all. So we are just waiting. You know, I mean, I shall believe it. When I'm sitting with Anthony Hopkins in the diary over lunch, I shall believe that's happening. I see, but, I he, but, but he's certainly interested, and he, he might be doing it. Oh, it's possible. Yes, it's possible, but he's not signed up, and so he hasn't backed out. You know, it's not that kind of situation. Yes, and you mentioned the film script. You're not doing the film script, then? No, they won't let me, you know. I mean, they have their own people. Um, I, it's been a revelation, actually. I, I, I thought that we would be involved in it in some way, but Hollywood is Hollywood, and they don't come back to the sources for their information. No, perhaps you have too much knowledge and too much I information. Probably, I think genuine I... Genuine <laughs> stuff, yeah. Yes. Shirley, we spoke a moment or so ago about all the people affected by this curse. Yes. The most recent to be affected, perhaps, is one of the people involved in obtaining the watch who was killed in, uh, in, in a motor uh, accident. This is the most awful tragedy, a really awful thing to happen. Yes, um, the Johnson brothers, um, Albert and Robbie, who brought the watch originally down to London to show my publisher, and um, that's when I first saw it. Um, Robbie was, in fact, killed um, in a... Um, and a road accident in southern Spain a few weeks ago. Now, the watch, of course, the watch was bought in uh, in a jeweller's in Liscard That's and right. uh, in Wallasey, mm -hmm. and it has inscribed on it the initials of James Maybrick together with the scratched uh, initials of all the Ripper's victims. Yes, and then across the middle it has I am Jack. And that apparently could not have been planted there's no way. Um, the the watch is, a, is another enigma in its own right. Uh, you can barely see those scratch marks with the naked eye. Um, they have to be put under a particularly high um, um, definition microscope, and then then it comes up quite clearly. Yes. They've been tested um, both in Bristol and in Manchester at the universities there. Um, brass particles have been found embedded within the scratch marks which have aged uh, in a way that, according to the scientists, 
wouldn't have happened. They couldn't have been planted there. Um, these are probably particles from the implement with which it was written. There's no possibility of a link, though, between that watch and anybody called Graham. Well, um, I think uh, that's something for Paul Feldman to say. I believe that his extensive genealogical um, researches are putting the two families together a long way back now. Um, but I can't tell you anything about that. That's something, you know, that I, I'm not privy to all that information. But he has been doing, um, he has been in touch with the descendants of almost everybody who was involved in, in the Maybrick story. Now, um, there's a huge network of people now. Yes, including the Burleys. Yes. You, you were involved with the Burleys, I think, uh, That's too. right. I met, I mean, I know Gerard Briley very well. Yeah, Briley, you've Briley, yes. Briley, yes. What information did you get with regard to, well, to put it vulgarly, the boyfriend of Florence Maybrick? Well, the, the, the Briley family actually know very little, sadly. Um, I'm, that is one of the things that I'm starting to do some more work on myself very shortly. We, we've had a, a bit of a break from researching over the summer, and I'm going to pick up the, the Briley story. Uh, there are a lot of Brileys around, and I have to go and try and see them to see what, if there is any information anywhere that we don't know about. Um, we've found his grave, which no one knew about. <laughs> Where, where's that? He's, uh, he's buried in a beautiful country churchyard in the, on the Sussex Downs. Oh. <laughs> Most surprising. Yes, no, no idea what he's doing there, but we found him with uh, the uh, epitaph, and uh, I think it says, and the, um, a sower went forth. Uh, when did he die, approximately? Off the top oh, of your head. Uh, not all that long ago. Um, 1940, I think it was. Yes. Just before Florrie, who died in 1941. yes, because... Had he come forward and given some evidence, he could certainly have helped her. Yes, of course, but he, he was a weak man, I think. Um, he did a runner. I'm checking out altogether, mm, yes. Mm. Now, what are your comments on the latest book called The Lodger by Stuart Evans and Paul Gainey? Because they dismiss your work uh, well, would, as, being di as being totally disproved now. Well, they're wrong. Um, <laughs> they have to say that. I mean, they, they, I think that... Uh, Stewart's book is, I will say, is one that I think has more interesting and useful information in it than almost any of the others. They um, claim this man, Frank Tumblety, uh, yes, an, well, an American I, quack doctor, was really the ripper. Yes, I think that the, I mean, the, that's stretching the imagination a little bit too, but they're entitled to that particular theory, and it's an interesting one. Uh, unlike, as I say, many of the others that have been put forward over recent years. So I don't really have any quarrel uh, with the theory of that particular book. I do quarrel with the way in which they keep coming up with stories about um, my book without bothering to find out from me whether they're true or not. <laughs> this, is, this is what's so <laughs> irritating all the time. It's, uh, I mean, stories... I, I mean, one of the stories that has been put about recently is that I'm at the centre of a feminist plot. Um, well, I mean, it is absolute nonsense. What is next, then? Is there a, a, a subsequent book from you, a, sub a subsequent Ripper Stroke Maybrick book, or are you just going to, again, update the diary, or, or what? I don't know yet, Bob. I think it's going to depend on the film and when the film comes out. I think we will obviously have to update. So much has happened since even the paperback. 
um, there is a lot more material. There's a lot more interesting background material too, and I think a lot of, of what has, what has happened is quite interesting from a reader's point of view. Uh, so I guess that I shall redo it. Um, when I'm not sure, that'll depend on the publisher. I think there will be now other books. I think that there will be a book on the uh, how the, how the book about the diary came to be written. I think there may well be a book on Florence Maybrick. Um, you know, these things are all there and in the pipeline as possibilities. Yes. I think the whole subject has now become so interesting um, because, as I, I think I said before, what, however else you view this diary, it has to be rated as an interesting historical document. It, it can't be just dismissed like that. It's, um, it stands as a unique document um, and it will furnish more research for a long, long time to come, I'm sure. And now the main thrust of investigation has to come via the Graham family, presumably. Um, yes, I think it probably does. I think that's the way it, sh it should go. Um, I think the answer to the diary will come through history. I don't think it will come through specialists in uh, scientific investigation or you know any of the technical people i don't think we're going to get an answer that way um i mean i was quite interested well i'm more than interested i think it's very relevant um we used a psychiatrist um dr david forshaw for the paperback and for the hardback who's a consultant at broadmoor and uh he's he's summed up a very very extensive investigation into the diary uh, by saying that um, a thorough examination of the journal and its provenance are essential components of deciding if it's authentic. Yeah. If such an examination proves indecisive and falls back on the content, then I would argue in that case, on the balance of probabilities from a psychiatric perspective, it is authentic. And I think that it's it's that it is it's psychiatric perspective and the historical content that are going to be the two things that will at the end of the day tell the true story yes any idea as to when we're going to hear about a film positively well we keep being told that they should be starting filming at the end of this year um i hope so um i want my I want my director's chair sitting in a corner <laughs> <laughs> um would, I, would you have some involvement i i well, I'm officially, I'm consultant, um, but whether that will actually involve me in doing anything, I don't know. I, I hope so, because it'll be very interesting to see, you know, to see how it goes. Um, and I, I, I don't think we'll have a great deal of influence, but I'd like to have some input, obviously. Indeed, yes. I know you've been involved in many court cases, with the Sunday Times, for example, yes, and with, with others. It's gone on and on. Have you actually made any money out of it? Yes. Of course I have. No, um, not of course at all. Well, you, 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 you may not have done. No, I'm going to be completely honest about this. I mean, I, again, I, I've been accused of making um, mega millions. Um, I've also been accused of being um, party to murder. But, uh, you know, I mean, all these sorts of stories go fly who, around. Who are you supposed to have murdered? Oh, well, I mean, the, the suspicious deaths. I've, I've had phone calls about those, and, uh, you know, as an involvement in, in because people are, uh, have been dying um and it's supposed to have looked suspicious 
I mean, it wasn't suspicious at all. No, no, none of any, any kind of suspicious connotation to them whatsoever. You're, but, not, you're not meeting Mr. Johnson, are you? Uh, he, well, I, yes, I was being discreet about that. You, you were supposed to, to be involved <laughs> had, in a plot to a, kill him. I had, a, I had a call which indicated they thought that it was very odd that the, these, these things had happened. It was convenient, and um, again, it was confirmation of my part in a sleazy conspiracy. What was this, an, an anonymous call? No, it wasn't. It came from Spain. No, I know who it came from. And are you taking action on that? Um, I would like... I mean, I have two cases at the moment where I could see you for libel without a shadow of doubt. It's a jolly costly business. You asked me if I'd made any money. What I was going to say was, um, I have made more money than I have probably made in any of the other books I've written, and I've written quite a lot of books. Um, but if you spread that over four or five years research, what I've made is certainly no more than most people of my age, and that's considerable, um, are earning as an annual salary. So um, I'm very happy. I bought a new car and I've got a computer. Um, if you count that as making mega millions, well... <laughs> and with all the hassle and the accusations and the court cases, with hindsight, would you have embarked on it had you oh, known what was going to come? Of course, of, of course. course. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, of course I would, and, and despite all the, all the terrible traumas there have been, and the night after night when we've been up all night, and, you know, the, 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 the very sad story of, my, of, of Mike, which I think is, is tragic, um, the way that it has, has affected his life. Um, yes, I would, and I hope at the end of the day it will all be justified. And you are still pursuing the story, even without payment now, because it is yes. an interesting tale, and instinctively you feel that the diaries are genuine. Yes, I do. Shirley Harrison, with her continuing belief in the veracity of the diary as being the work of James Maybrick, alias Jack the Ripper. But what next? Where does this all leave us? Just who did hold the diary for the last century and where? And how did it fall into the hands of Tony Devereux and then Mike Barrett? Is it really genuine? And can anything be proved after all this time, with the continuing weight of opinion by so many against it? Well, next week I'll be talking to Mike Barrett's former wife, Anne Graham, who will answer questions on radio for the very first time about her involvement in the story and about her own family background. That's all next time. So till then, from me, Bob Azadia, it's Cheerio, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye now. with Shirley Harrison on BBC Radio Merseyside on the 27th of September 1995. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by Casebook.org where you'll find over 160 roundtable discussions, author interviews, conference presentations, Whitechapel Society meetings and archive tapes all about Jack the Ripper, East End history and Victorian true crime. 
If you have any questions or comments about any of our releases, feel free to contact us on the Casebook message boards or find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching for RipperCast. Cast.